What's up, sports fans? My name is Lucas Weiss, host of the Wee Sports Chronicles podcast. We got a great episode for you today with Dan Rosen. He's a senior writer for NHL.com. In this episode, I chat with Dan about a plethora of topics from reporting on the Stanley Cup playoffs to interviewing players via Zoom, as well as his sports media career and the future of hockey reporting after the pandemic is over. The Wii Sports Chronicles is available on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. So make sure to like, rate, watch, and subscribe to all three of those channels. Now let's get to today's episode with Dan Rosen on the Wii Sports Chronicles. All right, on today's episode of the Wii Sports Chronicles, I am pleased to be joined by Dan Rosen. He's a senior writer for NHL.com. Dan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. I appreciate it. Well, it's my pleasure. And and we're recording this episode on Friday with only two first-round series left, the Montreal Canadiens and the Philadelphia Flyers and the Vancouver Canucks, the St. Louis Blues. But, Dan, does it feel weird with – just only two hockey games left, given all the hockey that we've had these, these last few weeks. Yeah, I, but it's also something that we've got to kind of get used to now, right? I mm. mean, we've had 24 teams, and that got whittled down to 16, and now we're going to get it whittled down to eight here. Uh, you know, by the time this airs, we'll be down there. So we got to get used to a little bit less hockey, but it has been a lot of fun to have all the hockey we've had. And that, that, that to me is why the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs every year is always the best to me mm-hmm. because you've got 16 teams playing. You've got so much going on, eight series going on, and there's news stories flying left and right and all that and so much intrigue. And if you cover the entire league or you're a fan of the entire league, uh, it, it just captivates you. It really does. Now we're going to get down to the nitty-gritty. Now we're going to get down to, to start whittling these teams out and the best of the best is, rises up. And then you, you really get – deep into a series, uh, into the coverage of a series now. Uh, so a little bit less games, but each game takes on obviously so much more meaning. Of course. And we, we went three months without any live sports on here in North America yeah. except for, for charity golf matches. So I think we've, uh, we're, we're, we'll take we're, it. We'll take <laughs> it. And, but yeah. I just wanted to ask you, Dan, right off the top, how, you know, you're a senior writer with NHL.com, as I said, covering the whole league. But given just the changes of reporting on the Stanley Cup playoffs, how has your job changed now compared to, let's say, a year ago when travel was normal, things were normal, and and journalists were traveling back and forth covering different series? Yeah, Uh, it's changed tremendously. It's completely different. It's very odd. It's it's weird for me to be doing it this way. Um, You know, just in terms of personally, like – in between periods, instead of chatting with colleagues and, you know, maybe a, grabbing a cup of tea or coffee or water or something like that and just, you know, talking about the game, I'm doing dishes, you know, like, so, <laughs> you know, or I'm folding laundry or whatever it may be, you know, so it's a, it's, it's obviously very different. In games I'm covering, I'm, I'm not necessarily doing those things, but in the games I'm just watching, I am doing those things. So it, it's very different. Um, professionally, you're not getting as much information. I mean, you, you're just not, and it, and it's understandable. It's, it's hard to do the, it's hard to cover these games 
Uh, and these series, like you do when you're in person, when you get an opportunity to go into the locker room and sit down with a couple of players, and, and if player A, player B, and player C are over there talking to somebody else, you can go talk to player D and get you know information that maybe nobody else is getting. Uh, um, you know, just you know, heads up, insight, whatever it may be. You can't do that now. You're limited to the Zoom availabilities, post-game, pre-game, on-off days. So you don't really get to choose who you want to talk to. And a lot of times you can at least pick and choose for base guys on who's in the locker room. Um, you know, they're getting, you know, the Zoom availabilities aren't very long. And I understand that. You know, they do have to cut it off at a certain point. So it's quite different. You can't really dig in your heels and get into something deep. Uh, with a player or a coach because you're not there in person. And also just not being there in person, you're not catching all the other little details of the games um, that you would if you were just sitting in the press box and watching and, you know, getting the above view and people say, well, what does that matter? And to me, it does. Um, it does matter because you see things that happen behind the play that maybe nobody else catches and you do. And, and you can ask somebody about that and it becomes a story story or it becomes a storyline or something to watch and you're not getting all that but that's the time we're living in right now so you can't really complain about any of it no for sure and and, and you mentioned two points that I find interesting I think just the, the whole zoom thing and not having those one-on-one -on -one conversations because yeah. those are where the really good stories happen like the stories that not everyone's reporting on that you do just because you do the work and are willing to talk to anyone and get a quote that, that no one else can, that just can't happen anymore because you only get a select group of players on the zoom calls. And another thing you just mentioned, it's about being at the rink and, and, and noticing that compared to now where Dan, I, you know, you can access any zoom call of any series. So yeah, how do you sort of limit the focus. Like, are you covering one series or are you just trying to figure out what's the good story every night and picking it from there? Well, no, the way we have it assigned at NHL.com is we get a series. So right now, as, as we talk, I've been covering the Vancouver-St. Louis series. And in the, in the qualifying round, I covered the Rangers-Carolina series. Uh, and then you jump around a little bit. I, like, I jumped around a little bit in the qualifying round. I, I did a couple of the round-robin games. I did an Islanders-Panthers game. Um, but the focus specific was to the Carolina and the Rangers. And, and this one – the focus has been specific to St. Louis and Vancouver. Next round and the second round, my focus is going to be specific to Dallas and Colorado, which is good. You're bouncing around. You're seeing different teams. You're not getting stuck with one team, one store. One, your mind goes to certain storylines when you're on a series the whole way. So moving to a new series with two new teams, you get a fresh look. Uh, and I think that actually enhances the coverage like we have. We have a number of different writers. But if everybody can get a fresh look in a different round, I think it makes the stories better. I think it makes the storylines better because uh, you're seeing things that the other person might not have seen before. So well, it, I like the fact that I get a series and that's how it is in normal times too. I will be latched onto one series and traveling between those two cities. Uh, and a lot of times you stick with the winner of that series, but it doesn't always happen. But this time you're latched on it at home and now I'm going to bounce to a new series. So it does give you a fresh perspective at least. And do you think, Dan, that your just prior experience in the industry, the relationships that you've built over the years working and covering hockey have helped you during these times where you can't be at the rink and you can't, you know, you're, you're trying, trying to grasp for any sort of story yeah. that's, that's unique? 
A hundred percent. And I'll give you the, I'll give you a really good example of it. So the best type of stuff you can get is if you get it, in my opinion, if you talk to somebody who nobody else is talking to. Mm -hmm. So in, in these, in this scenario, that's impossible unless you go outside the bubble, right? I mean, you, you, you're not going to another guy in the locker room that nobody's talking to at that present time to just talk, do a one-on-one. -on -one. Everything is over Zoom. Anybody can access it, um, which is, a, which, you know, by the way, the, the, the ability to access any of these press conferences is good for somebody that covers the whole league. You do, you know, I don't get that opportunity if I'm in a series on uh, normal times. You're, you're on your series. Now you can really gauge what's going on everywhere around the league. So that is a positive to this. Um, but I'll give you the example. So uh, earlier this week, I did a story on Bo Horvat from the Vancouver Canucks. And I said, well, I got to get somebody outside the bubble. And so I talked to a, a colleague of mine who was able to give me the contact information for Henrik Sedin. And Henrik Sedin, and I know him, we go back to, you know, a decade for, you know, or more from when he was in the league and when I broke into, started covering the NHL. And so we have a relationship in that sense. We're not buddies or anything, but he knows me and I know him. Uh, and so when I was able to text him, I he wrote back and said, let's chat. Sure. And he gave me perspective on Bo Horvat for a story I did that I don't think anybody else had. Uh, and it didn't make the story that much better than anybody else. Right. I mean, that's not for me to judge, but it was different than what you would normally get in the bubble. So those are the types of contacts you need to utilize uh, to get different stuff, to get more, you know, a, you know, a different readership to, to be different from the other person on the zoom call. And, and that's the goal here. And, you know, we've done it, you know, other writers that I work with have done it, you know, we're working on a story on Miro Heiskanen. So do we want to just talk to Miro Heiskanen? No, we, we, you know, maybe you can get, you know, Scott Stevens or Brian Leach or Scott Niedermeyer or former defenseman, Sergei Zubov or somebody like that to give a perspective on a player, but they're not in the bubble, but, and nobody else may be reaching out to them. And I guess this, this will be really put to the test, Dan, during the Stanley Cup final where everyone yeah. is covering those two series, you know, that, that one series and those two teams where you really need to put that to the test of thinking Absolutely. outside the box. Absolutely. And I, I think back, actually, it was five years ago, the 2015 Stanley Cup final. And I remember it well because my role uh, at that Stanley Cup final was to cover what was going on in the, in the arena but get perspective from outside the arena. Uh, and that was Tampa Bay and Chicago. So I remember doing a story on Duncan Keith where I talked to Nicholas Lidstrom and Brian Leach, you know, because former NHL defensemen, Hall of Fame players, and you needed a different perspective from them uh, to really gauge on what Duncan Keith was doing. And I, you know, that was my job. So almost every day, if not every other day, I was reaching out to contacts made, you know, from years of covering the NHL to help me in covering that series. And I think that is what could be going on come the Stanley Cup final. This time it's very important, super important, most important, in fact, to cover what's going on inside the bubble in this case and, you know, what's going on with the two teams. But to augment or supplement your coverage with some outside voices, outside opinions, uh, I think is, you know, serves the reader well because it gives them a different look uh, and makes – what you're writing different again, like I said, from the next guy. So, and that's what you, that's the goal. That's what you want. Speaking of Vancouver, St. Louis, you said that you were covering this series and I think yeah. it's been the most exciting first round series. It's had everything. It's been really, really exciting from, from both ends. 
Regardless of what happens, Dan, to the Vancouver Canucks, what has impressed you about this team, particularly when a lot of these guys are so young and haven't had playoff experience yet? Well, what's impressed me is how they've stood in there toe-to-toe with the defending Stanley Cup champions. What impressed me was how they came back from a not a good performance in game one against the Minnesota Wild in the qualifying round and were able to win the next three games to win the series. Uh, what's impressed me is Jacob Markstrom. He looks, I mean, he's never played in the playoffs before. He's a playoff goaltender. There's no question about it. You know, as we're talking, Vancouver, you know, is hours away from playing for the, the, the six game series win. Uh, what impressed me was how they came back in game five uh, because I thought they were done. I, I mean, I, I shouldn't say that. I didn't think they were done. I knew they had it in them. But the way it was going, the way they lost game four, uh, they lose in overtime in game three. The way you lose in game four, they were, they were just caved in possession-wise, just dominated in that game. And then the first period plus of game five, it looked like the same thing. It's three to one. The Blues are rolling. The defending Stanley Cup champs are back. Here they are. And then Vancouver turned it. And they scored three goals in less than seven minutes, take a four to three lead. And then so impressive the third period how they locked it in you know and and Markstrom made some great saves but that's a team a young team growing up before our eyes 10 guys who had never played in the Stanley Cup playoffs before are now you know going toe-to-toe with the defending Stanley Cup champions so they've been very impressive to me um and Quinn Hughes I watched Canucks a lot even being on the east coast I do like to watch the Canucks a lot because I think they're an exciting team to watch and Quinn Hughes is just standing out uh, in these playoffs he has been so good so dynamic and if you're watching the games you're really getting a look at what the the future of the NHL defenseman look like well when you look at a guy like Quinn Hughes he's so effective of course on the power play always makes that you know really nice pass when you look at his expected goals with or without him on the ice like the Vancouver Canucks yeah. you know, are, are way better with them on the ice in terms of generating scoring chances. And of course that great play in game two, setting up the bull or about OT winner, that bank pass. And again, like he just, he's, he's only, he's, he's just a kid. Like he's only, yeah. you know, he's so young, you know, and this is his first playoff. So really nice to see that growth from such a young defenseman who's really captivating the headlines. Uh, absolutely. And and I loved his comment. I think it was after game two. And you're right, that pass to Bo Horvat and the look at Tyler Bozak after Bo Horvat <laughs> scored the goal. I love that. That was that was great. But his comment after that game was it's an honor that they're focusing on, on me and they're keying in on me. And, and that is exactly the attitude you want to see from a young stud player like Quinn Hughes. He's who, you know, they are focusing on him. They were trying to chip him, hit him, do whatever they possibly could to knock him off his game, and it wasn't working. And he called it an honor that they would even try to do that to him. So I like that. I like that moxie that he has. There's no question about it. Um, his first pass is terrific. His skill at the point on the power play, the way he runs it and quarterbacks the power play, it is really just remarkable. He is so young. And uh, the future, I mean, his future is so bright. And, and, and the one thing is, and people will look at the Vancouver Canucks, and rightfully so, that they, they have cap implications that they're going to have to deal with in the offseason. And the flat cap does hurt them. But their, their core is Pedersen, Hughes. I mean, they have two, two guys at the most, two of the best players in the league at the most important positions in the league. And they're both very young. So that's good. 
I know that there's, that there's still two teams that need to advance to the second round and make it full, but of the teams that have advanced so far, which one has, has stood out to you just in terms of having the best chance to win it all in, in these strange circumstances? Well, I mean, there's a couple, but obviously you have to be, you know, focused and enamored with what the Colorado Avalanche have done. Um, I picked the Avalanche to come out of the Western Conference and to play in the Stanley Cup final. Um, I like that pick still. The question that I have, and it's got to be answered, and I can't answer it now, is when they get into a heavy series, uh, if they get past Dallas and they play a Vegas, right, and they get into a heavy series, is Colorado going to be able to play that heavy style of hockey and still win? I think they can. Uh, part of the reason is, is I think their defense is really strong and big and physical, and they can do those types of things. And McKinnon can play any style of hockey. You ask him to, so can Ranton, and so can Landeskog. Um, so can Kadri, for that matter, and Burakovsky. So I think they can, but we got to see it because they're such a speed and skill team. But Colorado's really impressed me. I think Vegas is terrific. Um, but on the East, I picked a team to win the Stanley Cup, and I'm – sticking with it, it's Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, the way they were able to come out of that Columbus series and how they had to win those games in that Columbus series speaks volumes for how far the Tampa Bay Lightning have come. They are a legitimate Stanley Cup threat now. When they went into the playoffs last year, they were the best team in the league in the regular season based on their speed and skill and their goaltending. But when they got into a snarly series, they backed off, they got frustrated, and it didn't work out. Right, and they didn't have Victor Hedman, and that hurt. But they made some additions, uh, both in the off season and at the trade deadline. Uh, Pat Maroon, Barclay Gaudreau, Blake Coleman, those, Zach Bogosian, those types of players, and that snarl is back. They can play that style, and they can beat you with their skill. I think they're so dangerous. Yeah, you can just see John Cooper after the handshake line with the big fist pump, like the you know pump, he yeah. wanted uh, <laughs> he wanted that revenge on Columbus, but like. You look out west, and and I agree with you with with Vegas and Colorado, and I know that a lot of my my listeners are Leaf fans. I mean, you, you gotta be dis- you know you've seen Nazem Kadri do so well at just giving him nightmares about what, what yeah. could have been if he stayed in Toronto, and then you look at Vegas; they have more playoff series wins than the Leafs do in the last few years. So yeah. it, it, it's a little bit hard, but just two great teams, and hopefully, you know, we'll see what happens, but. That Western Conference final, a Colorado-Vegas matchup could be uh, could be great. Yeah, look, and I understand the Nazem Kadri narrative in Toronto right now. I get it. The trade didn't work out or it doesn't look like it worked out at all for the Toronto Maple Leafs. But Kadri's playing a different role in Colorado than he would have been you know, in Toronto. So I think that needs to be pointed out. I mean, if he was in Toronto, would he be Kerfoot? Yeah, he'd right? be third-line center. Right? I mean, and that's what they got. They got Kerfoot, who's a yeah. third-line center. So, and they got Barry, who obviously, I mean, I don't think he'll be back, and it wasn't a great season for Tyson Barry, but he'd be a third-line center. He's not playing above Austin Matthews or John Tavares. It's just not going to happen. So, in Colorado, they desperately needed a Nazem Kadri to play second-line center, and it changes how you play the game. Kadri, I don't think – I'm not surprised by the impact he's making in Colorado. I don't think any Leafs fans should be surprised by the impact he's making. In fact, I think Kyle Lucas and Brendan Shanahan knew what they were giving up. But it, uh, it had to fit their roster the right way. They had to do their depth chart the right way. And Nazem Kadri playing third-line center is not going to give you the same Nazem Kadri playing second-line center. It's just not going to happen because you're playing with better players. 
What a rational answer, Dan. I wish the Leafs had more <laughs> rationality. I, uh, I apologize for trying to bring some rationality to Toronto. I appreciate it. <laughs> 15 years a little bit, and, and, and I really am I'm interested in, in, in your career and, and being in, in sports media. You, you, of course, are representing your alma mater well with the Arizona Wildcats. Yeah. So I'm just curious – was this always in the cards for you wanting to get involved in sports media? Yeah, I went to the university of Arizona, uh, and because I wanted to go to a big school that had big time athletics, I didn't know it would lead me necessarily to sports media, uh, or what form of media it would lead me to, whether it be broadcasting or the written form or radio, whatever. I wasn't sure, you know, behind the scenes, I, I wasn't sure at that time. Um, but that's why I went to the University of Arizona because I wanted to be in sports and I wanted to work at a big, I wanted to go to a big time campus that big time sports because I knew I could get involved in it if I really pushed. And that's what I did. And I covered sports uh, for the Arizona Daily Wildcat, which is a student newspaper there, a five day a week, top quality student, college student newspaper. And I covered the football team and the baseball team and the basketball team. And I was a sports editor and I did a little of the club hockey team and, and all that stuff. And, uh, that's when I knew that, I, you know, I wanted to get into the writing. I wanted to get into the journalism, the reporting of it. And I did. And I worked uh, in newspapers for seven years after getting out of college, seven and a half years after getting out of college. And then I was able to land a job at the NHL in 2007. You know, it's granted, it's, it's different than a newspaper. You know, newspapers are more independent. I work for the National Hockey League. Uh, that's who pays my paycheck. So, you know, NHL.com is not a newspaper, but we have grown to, I think, a point in my tenure there, and I got there in 2007, to where we are considered media, and we have uh, a lot of interesting stories on the site where there are still some limitations of what we can do uh, because we work for the league, you know, yeah. and, and, and look, that's the case. It's, but I don't ever, I don't look at them as limitations. I just look at them as, you know, guidelines, and we're still churning out terrific copy uh, every day. Uh, we have a, a stable of writers that uh, all have the same type of backgrounds as me. And we're all asking questions. We're all digging for information. We're doing the reporting. We're doing the journalism stuff. And we are producing, I think, what a, a top quality hockey website every single day. Um, it just so happens that it, it is an arm of the National Hockey League. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that you mentioned that, that you went there in 2007 because that was, I mean, social media was sort of, I mean, it did exist then, but it yeah. wasn't as like it is now, right? Like it was, you no. know, people were like, what's Facebook? What's Twitter? Like what's tweeting and all that stuff. So I'm just curious, what were the early challenges when you got to NHL.com? Because I, I, I'm assuming there were just challenges to just build the brand and, and, and the digital side of the website where it just wasn't as popular as it is now. Of course, of course. It actually goes back to a couple of years before I got to NHL.com. I was working for the Bergen Record in Northern New Jersey newspaper. I was covering a lot of high school sports, plus doing some Devils and Rangers coverage. And we came up with a blog and blogs at that time were huge. Right. Everybody had a you know, blogs were becoming huge at that time. And we came up with a blog called the varsity aces. So we covered high school sports. And this is where it was basically, here's where you put all the other information that you get that can't fit in the newspaper, because in the newspaper, you only have amount of print that you can go with. Right. And I remember talking to my boss at the time and a colleague of mine who's a close friend. And we were all saying, 
it, it's becoming at this point, if you're not multimedia, you're going to get phased out. Mm -hmm. And the blogs were the multimedia. And after, once I got to the NHL, it was a, we did a lot of features. It was a lot of much, a very much a feature writing factory at the time. But social media started to pick up. Twitter started to come into play. Podcasts started to come into play. And it became a thing where, if you, again, if you're not multimedia, you're going to get phased out. So when Twitter started to come in, it became, it, Twitter is now an arm of the job. Like it's, it's a li like a limb attached to me. You know, it's, it's, you need it. It's up all the time right? I'm checking it all the time. It's such an important part of the job. Um, you know, podcasting, we finally are doing a podcast this year, the at the rink podcast, and it's been a smashing success. And I think people are interested in it. And we've been pushing to do that for a number of years, but that's becoming a very popular medium and, or is a very popular medium. Everybody's got a podcast now, right? So yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, yeah I mean, and, and, and people watch because the more content that you have in different areas, the better it will be. Fans want content. That's what they want. I want it as a fan of other sports. I want content. And the more you can give them, the better it is. The more multimedia that you are, the better you're, you are. And that goes back now 15 years that I think about that to back to starting that blog when I was covering high school sports. Like you got to be multimedia and you got to roll with the time. So when I got to NHL.com, it was different. There's no question about it. It, it was, it was very different, but as the social media world picked up, you had, we had to ride the wave with it. And uh, I think we've, We've done so successfully and we continue to do so because it's it's ever changing you know it really and what we know now is going to be different from what we know two years from now yeah and i think you speak to a little bit just the limitations of the newspaper right because you know yes. you're, you're, you're so bogged down by words and deadlines and and, and word count whereas on these digital platforms you have more freedom to perhaps you know, do a feature on a story and you're not necessarily bogged down by, by those deadlines. So I guess for you and, and for a lot of people that work in digital now, it, it must be a little bit of breath of fresh air that you have just, you know, within reason, you know, more freedom to just navigate different, different storylines. And you're not just bogged down by the, by, by, by those yeah. unnecessary restrictions of the newspaper. Yeah, there's no question about it, but I still look at it and say, there are still deadlines because, mm -hmm. If, it, you, if you don't, if you're not quick with getting the information out there, especially after a game, right? Especially post game or especially after news breaks, then you're behind. Mm -hmm. And that's a problem. You don't want to be behind. Uh, and also, I'm a huge fan of the well-written, well-sourced, well-reported 2,500, 3,000, 3,500 word feature that really you can dive in and, you know, take 20 minutes to really dive into that. I'm a huge fan of that. I love writing pieces like that, but on the internet, shorter is better. You know, I mean, it, it is in a lot of cases, quicker is better because the attention spans of people are not as good as they were when they were just sitting around having a cup of coffee, at their table and reading the newspaper on a Sunday morning. It's different, right? It's just, just the way it is right now. So if you really captivate an audience at the top, you can write a long feature, but if you don't captivate them at the top of the story, what's the other 1500 words for, right? I mean, that's why it's, it's very important to captivate the audience at the top of the story and then dive into the other meat, meatle, meat part of the story because now you've got the hook, now you've got them in. But if you don't ever bring them in, they're not going to get to your meat. You can't, don't bury the lead is the, is, is the old saying, right? 
No, of course, a, a, a huge journalistic tenant right there. And, and, and I also think, too, that there's just different ways of telling stories now, like beyond the feature. People yeah. are, journalists are now integrating video into their stories and analyzing that. Analytics, of course, is such a big part of hockey analysis. So it just shows you now as a journalist, you have to sort of be you know, one or two steps ahead to figure out what the – what the market is yeah. like, what, what people want. And you always have to sort of cater to that because if you don't, either, you know, you're just not going to get the, the views on the story, so to speak. Yeah, no, you're a hundred percent right. I, I, I'm, I like the stories that have the video components to them. I do, uh, especially a breakdown of a video component. I, I enjoy those. I learn from those stories. Um, you know, I, I like reading stories that weave in analytics to a story, but it, not i'm i like analytics i i appreciate them i think these added statistics that we have in the game are so valuable to the coverage that we do for the game and, and how we analyze games now but i'm not a fan of reading a story based solely on analytics yeah. like I, I i will you you lose me on that I, that's me that's not everybody that's me right but i love a story and i try to write them this way too where you're weaving in statistical analysis into a narrative that you know still fits what you're trying to write about and still fits your style which is to tell the human side of the story um if you can weave statistical analysis into that i think that's a real good way to go uh but i i i see a lot of these stories now where the video component is involved it's a breakdown and it really you learn something if you really take the time to do it but that's the key thing the reader uh, the audience has to take the time to do it in addition to writing and, and, you know, you are more than just, uh, you know, multi, you know, you, you are more than just writing. You do a lot of different things. As you mentioned, podcasting, you're also on TV as well at times. And I'm just curious, what were the challenges initially of, of getting on TV considering that, you know, you were mainly a, a writer at first and then moving yeah. over to the TV? Well, I, I don't know if this, it was necessarily challenges. It was just opportunity. Um, really that's what it was it was I've always wanted to do more like you know like I said go back to that 15 years ago when we were talking about you gotta be multimedia or you're gonna get phased out right so I've always pushed and wanted to do more it was just the opportunity to do so we started doing more video element um, a number of years ago probably 10 years ago at NHL.com online video content and that sort of carried uh, some momentum and carried into doing some, you know, getting some opportunities to do some TV stuff, especially for the NHL network. Um, so, and then the, I live in New Jersey. I live in Northern New Jersey. The NHL network used to be based in Toronto. Then it moved to Secaucus, New Jersey, which is 25 minutes from my house. And once that move happened, I've gotten to them more. I'm able to go into the studio and do a little stuff. I don't, I don't overdo it. It's not the biggest part of my job, but if they ask, I go. And, you know, I, during a regular part of a season, I'll do one or two spots a week. And, you know, they'll come to me if I'm at Madison Square Garden or wherever I am, maybe on the road doing that stuff. But it had to come from opportunity. And the opportunity came because digitally we started doing more video content at NHL.com because we recognized, like we were just talking about before, having a video component to add to a story um, really made the package of what you were doing that much better. In this case, it was a video component of me talking and analyzing rather than a video breakdown where you're writing about it. 
Yeah, and I think it just goes back to the point now because I know a lot of young journalists who want to break into the industry, it's not like the old days anymore where you can just be a writer and survive. You have to know all of these different facets in order to be a lot more employable. And and, and to me, like, I, I like that. Like, I like the opportunity to, and for journalists to, to not only see their written work, but also hear them talk about the sport or see them on TV because it just shows that they're a lot more well-rounded than some people may, you know, think they are. But the key thing in all of this, especially if you want to be a, a writer who does other things is you still got to be able to write, you know, like you still got to be able to tell a story in the written word and through the limitations sometimes of word count you have to be able to do it it's still the number one thing that you have to be able to do and I say that because if your copy isn't good if your writing isn't readable uh, (laughs) your editor won't appreciate it the copy editors will complain about it and the readers are smart enough to notice it and once all that happens you doesn't matter what you say or where you go on you're not going to be taken seriously so you still have to be able to do that number one old school principle of know how to tell a story i know it's too early to tell just given everything what's going on and you you know next you know what happens next season and going forward with the nhl but do you think dan that there will be certain components of the coverage now Zoom calls, let's say, et cetera, that will be implemented down the road, like will be sort of implemented down the road full time, like for people that, you know, may, their, their companies may not send media members to different events in the NHL. Do you think that'll be implemented or do you think like eventually we'll get back to normal where journalists are traveling and, and it's sort of like what it was pre-pandemic? Well, I hope this isn't the new normal. For us, yeah. I really, do, I really do. This is I, I don't, I don't know, obviously, but uh, I, I think, or maybe it's just the optimist in me. You know, yeah. I do think that once we are as a society in a different place, um, our jobs in media will get back to normal. Because part of me says that because I think the coaches and the players and the general managers and the executives also want it that way that hmm. it's it has to be very strange for a coach to sit in a room and hear a voice coming at them yeah. and have to answer a question that as much as coaches and players will say oh i gotta do this now or i'm not so sure i want to do the media or or they're careful or tight-lipped about what they're saying there's a give and take that they enjoy and there's a personable aspect to all this that they enjoy and there's also the idea of if you write something about somebody or you say something about somebody showing up the next day and facing that person yeah that, you know you can't do that right now you no. know you, you can't do that i thought i think of austin matthews yep uh remember what he said to, to steve simmons he didn't like what steve simmons wrote that's Austin matthews and he made it a, a point of him saying it on a zoom call he probably would have preferred to say that in person and look the guy eye to eye, you know, just just as human beings, right? So yeah. I, I hope this is not the new normal, but I would understand. I would say that I think maybe the idea of the conference call might have gone away, and 
maybe more teams are going to be looking to do Zooms as opposed to just the conference call. Uh, but I, I hope that eventually we're back in the buildings, we're back in the locker rooms, we're back in press conferences, we're back in scrums, and we really can you know, dig our heels in that way to do the reporting that uh, the readers want and get to get to get the information the readers want. And also just to have that relationship, the give and take with the, you know, with the sources out there. Uh, it's a, a, it's enjoyable. Uh, and B, you know, I think it, 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 it helps them too. They get their, they get an opportunity to, to, to get their point across in a better way when it's in person than when it's on Zoom. Last question for you, Dan, and I always ask this to all my uh, sports media guests, is what's one piece of advice that you would give to a young journalist or a writer looking to break into the industry, especially in such a challenging time right now for for the whole business? No story is too small. Hmm. There is no story that is too small. And treat every story that you get, every – assignment, I should say, that you get if you're working in a newspaper, a website, radio, wherever it may be, treat every assignment you get as if you're covering the Stanley Cup final. Because mm-hmm. if you treat it that way, you'll you'll appreciate it and you'll do your best work with it. If you treat it as if it's just another little nothing thing, then it will look like just a little nothing thing. Dan Rosen, he is a senior writer for NHL.com. Dan, I I wish you all the best covering the rest of the Stanley Cup playoffs. And thanks so much for coming on the Wii Sports Chronicles. All right. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me on.